Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Waltergens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, just so we let everybody know to begin with this podcast that we are testing out a new microphone. Mm -hmm. So if by chance this podcast does turn out to have less than what you're normally used to for uh, audio quality, we're, we'll probably learn that in the editing process and we probably won't use this microphone again. Yeah. So. But if it sounds better. If it sounds better, then we're going to use this microphone more. Yeah. Right? Right. And it'll allow us to be able to use it for three people. Yeah. So maybe we'll have. Or four people. Or four people. Yeah. Who knows? So <laughs> the sky's the limit. Yeah. So. Uh, last episode we talked about, I forget his name already, even though we just recorded that episode literally two seconds ago, but so yeah. remind me of what Ron is. Huff. And we're going to follow up on that story with the killer, which was the killer Ron Huff? Or the, the killer is Ron, Ron Huff. Huff. Yeah. So we're going into step two of that, his life, right? Well, sort of. This is, this is part two. It's also about Ron Huff. If... For some reason, you didn't listen to the last episode. This episode will still make sense. I don't know why you would do that, but you could. They they do stand alone. So, but you'll have missed another murder that Ron Huff was involved in. Correct. So, so take her away, Gavin. Okay, we're actually going to start with another person. Her name is Faye Winnell, and don't know if that's how you say her last name, but that's how I'm going to say it. Sounds beautiful to me, so... Okay, Faye Winnell was born near Minneapolis on Christmas 1955. Her father was white, her mother was Oneida and Ojibwe. At times during her childhood, the family would sometimes live on the reservation, and sometimes in Minneapolis. Sometimes you feel like one or the other. <laughs> her father left when she was a child. She was a regular in the Minneapolis hippie scene hanging out at hippie locations and becoming a vegetarian. When she was 20 years old, her brother Royal was shot and killed on Nicolay Avenue in Minneapolis. That is not the story we're telling today. That's just a bonus murder for you. (laughs) (laughs) A few years later, she started attending college where she took anthropology classes, but she quit after her sophomore year. She got in a drunk driving accident where she crashed her van and had to get pins in her legs, and she had a head injury that gave her disability payments for the rest of her life. When she was drunk, she earned a reputation as a batterer, somebody who was abusive. She was involved in abusive relationships with other women as early as age 22. One woman claimed that Winnell broke into her apartment, waited for her to come home from work, and then started choking her. So these are not people that she was in relationships with? These are actually... Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay. A former lover said that Winnell beat and threatened her and her children... But she never filed charges because Winnell left town, and that was good enough. In 1990, she attended a rainbow gathering in northern Minnesota, which I'm not really sure, but I take that as some sort of hippie thing. In the early 1990s, she began making cards and t-shirts to sell at art fairs, some of them with direct references to domestic abuse and alcoholism. One drawing featured a woman bound, hanged, and stabbed, flanked by a snake and a bottle, with the words "die bitch" written on the label, uh, not sure if we're gonna have to bleep this, but there's that's it gets weirder. 
So, Winnell ends up meeting a woman named Maria Silva. And at this point, things kind of reach a peak. She has met her match. Maria Silva is just as abusive (laughs) and alcoholic as Winnell is. And coincidentally, she also lives on disability payments. So they're like the same person, basically. They're like the same person. Match made in heaven. The two hadn't been living together very long when Winnell began referring to Maria as her wife. The two sealed their bond with matching silver rings. And for people who don't know, at this time, gay marriage was not legal. So this was just, they, they said it, but it's not, it wasn't a legal thing. At various points in time, Maria, the new person, gave Winnell a black eye, a stab wound to the neck, wow, <laughs> and a bite injury to the ear. Winnell's first arrest for assaulting Maria occurred in June 1994, just a few months after they met. By New Year's, she was arrested four more times for domestic abuse. So now are they both abusing each other? They're abusing each, each other. other. Okay, yeah. back and forth, okay. In 1995, police arrested Winnell at least 11 times for beating Maria. One of those incidents took place in a hospital where, according to the police reports, Maria was being treated for injuries received after being beaten. In July 1995, after she's out of the hospital, both women were arrested for disorderly conduct in Bemidji, Minnesota, when a fight broke out in the middle of a busy street. People driving by were so scared, they called the police. Winnell was arrested two more times over the next four days for threatening Maria. And at this point, Maria got a restraining order against her. Two months later, the incident that severed the relationship for good occurred. According to police reports, Winnell barricaded Maria into a room in a hotel and beat her for two or three days straight. This is so crazy. Like... (laughs) Yeah. Police found them both passed out from drinking. Maria was covered with dried blood. Doctors at the hospital found cuts and scrapes on her face, a fractured sinus, and a ruptured eardrum. Winnell was convicted of assault. By the time she was released from jail, several months later, Maria was living with a boyfriend. Her boyfriend was Ron Huff. (laughs) A Green Bay man who had previously done time in prison. For murder. Hear more about that in the previous episode. Winnell was upset that she had done jail time while Maria hadn't, even though they were abusing each other. She was also beside herself with jealousy and defied the restraining order and found her way into the apartment where the couple lived. Duluth police caught her and said, we're sick of your crap, and they gave her a bus ticket out of town. (laughs) They said, if you don't leave, one of you is going to wind up dead. She took the bus ticket, and she left for Arizona. Wow. They were generous with their bus ticket, I guess. Yes. So, Winnell has now moved to Tucson, Arizona, where she lives in a hippie colony. During her first few days in town, she has a number of run-ins with the local police already. Because she's beating people up, I'm assuming? Yeah. one One of the police describes her as a large woman who was dressed in a duster coat, a big belt buckle, and a Stetson hat. Her record contains arrests for drunken disorderly, street fights, and drunk driving. Meanwhile, back in Duluth, Minnesota, the real Maria, uh, I shouldn't say the the real Maria, (laughs) Maria (laughs) was falling into her familiar pattern, but this time with Ron Huff. 
On March 17, 1996, Ron Huff is charged with assaulting Silva after the couple had a fight. Silva being Maria. I should be consistent in how I refer to them. Maria had been treated at a hospital emergency room in April 1996 with bruising on her face, neck, chest, abdomen, and leg. She and Huff were living together at the time, and Maria's treating physician testified later that Maria had told him the injuries resulted from her husband, which, again, not really her husband, but on June 1st, he's arrested again, this time for attacking Maria at a neighbor's house. She ended up with six stitches in her upper lip and told police that she wanted charges pressed. Two days later, he was released from jail. That afternoon, neighbors would tell police that he was in the alley behind the apartment that they had shared, ranting that he had caught her with another guy. So, this is just crazy. Terrible mess. June 22nd, 1996. This is the moment you've been waiting for. So, I'm curious if Ron Huff is going to die or if Maria is going to die. June 22nd, 1996. Maria is found dead in her Duluth apartment. A neighbor notices a bad smell and decides to check out the apartment. Inside, he finds Maria's badly decomposed corpse. The doors of the third floor apartment were deadbolted, meaning that whoever killed her had to lock the door after leaving. Duluth's chilly lakefront climate had helped preserve the groceries in the apartment, but it didn't preserve Maria. Her body was rotting under a sheet. In the kitchen, police found a pot of stew that had barely even begun to mold. The apartment was cold, but uh, the body apparently still didn't take it well. So how long was she in there for? We're getting there. We're getting there? We're getting there. When the police arrived, they found little more than bones left for her body. The corpse was lying in bed, and the officer's report noted, quote, Her hands were above her head, her palms were facing upward, the lower portion of her anatomy was covered by a sheet, there were a significant infestation of maggots, the hyoid bone in her throat had been fractured, which usually indicates you've been strangled, and Maria had three broken ribs that had not yet healed, which means they probably were broken at the time she was killed, but it could have been in a couple days before that. They just hadn't started healing yet. The autopsy said that she probably died about two weeks earlier, but not as long ago as a month. So according to the autopsy, she most likely died around June 8th. Here it gets weird. Police also noticed several piles of human feces on the floor (laughs) in the bedroom. They moved the body out and brought in fans so they wouldn't have to smell the human feces. Police quickly decided there were only two suspects, either Ron Hoff or Faye Winnell. Tucson police located Winnell a few days later and told her about Maria's murder and questioned her about where she had been. She appeared to them to be genuinely shocked and claimed that she hadn't left Arizona since arriving in Arizona earlier that year. She didn't make any trips back to Minnesota. She couldn't have been the killer. Four months after Maria's death, Winnell was arrested at a Payless shoe store. According to the police report, she had grown angry when the salesperson refused to give her any money for the shoes that she was wearing. She tried to sell the shoes she was wearing to a Payless shoe store. During Christmas, Winnell was suspected of assaulting a man with a meat hook. The victim did not want the police involved. On New Year's Day, 1997, 
Winnell was arrested after dialing 911 from a payphone and screaming for help. When the police arrived, they found a frightened man and a drunken, rambling Winnell. The man, who told police he was homeless, said he had been walking down the street when Winnell approached him asking for money and a cigarette, and when he refused, she punched him in the mouth and sliced at his neck with a razor blade, saying she wanted to get his jugular vein. The arresting officer reported that after she was handcuffed, Winnell struggled to get away and threatened, quote, I'm going to cut your dick off and swallow your balls. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the greatest threats I've ever heard. It gets weirder. <laughs> I don't believe that. It's going to get weirder. Winnell reappeared in Minnesota in 1997 and quickly drew the attention of local law enforcement. At one point, police picked her up for soliciting. She had offered sexual favors to two undercover police officers for $40 each. She said, usually I charge less, but it's a little more expensive because there's two of you, and one of you is going to be watching the other. It costs more to watch. After the arrest, she berated one of the cops, who happened to be an Asian man, saying, quote, Why'd you leave Hiroshima to escape the radiation? <laughs> Holy crap. What? Are you some kind of mutant? Did you come over here to work for the white man who stole our land, you Japanese bitch? What is wrong with these people, man? I don't know. I don't know. I, but there, that might be the peak. I don't know if it gets any weirder than, did you leave Hiroshima to escape the radiation? Uh, in February 1998, Winnell was picked up outside of a bar in Minneapolis after the bar employees refused to serve her. She laid in wait outside the bar. And when the bar closed, she jumped and attacked the bar employees for not serving her. As far as the Maria being murdered situation, very little happened in that until October 1997, when a woman named Jackie Gordon came forward and said that Huff had confessed to her. But there were some problems here. For one, Huff's keys were visible in police photos of the murder scene. And if his keys were in the apartment... How did he lock the apartment behind him? But for another, Jackie Gordon said that Huff had confessed to her that he'd killed Maria by hitting her in the back of the head with a baseball bat, which isn't at all what the autopsy showed. This was especially suspicious because Jackie asked the police about the reward money and said that she would not cooperate until she started seeing the reward money. <laughs> Regardless, finally, November 1997, Ron Huff is arrested and charged with Maria's murder. After 19 months, he is finally indicted for the case. What do you suppose his defense is? I'm trying to remember what his defense was in the last episode. Uh, thing. Well, it's not that a gay man was making advances on him. Yeah, that's true. So what would his defense be? That she was beating the shit out of him, I would assume. And when he got, she got sick of it? He got sick of it? Oh, see, you're thinking too hard. Okay. His defense is, it's not me, it's this other lady. Hold on. The crazy... The crazy one. Yeah. He's like, I'm not the crazy one. <laughs> she's, she's the one that, that killed her. Uh, you know, this. Uh, the police were like, yeah, we look into that, but pretty sure you're the guy. But after he's indicted for the murder, but before the trial begins, another murder happens. And that's going to be this gir the other girl? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, who else do we have in this? Oh, the 
The girl that said she did it, he did it, right? No. No? This is a new person. Okay. New then person. How here. would I know? You're, you wouldn't know. <laughs> you're asking me to, to guess in a person that hasn't even been introduced right. in the story. February 1998. Police discovered a man named Michael Gruby dead in the Duluth hotel room, which was registered to the name of Faye Winnell. He had been strangled and left lying on the floor face up, partly covered with a jacket. Police noted that, quote, there were fecal deposits on the bathroom floor, fecal matter smeared on his clothes, and fecal smudges and deposits on the carpeting near the body. Wow, sounds familiar. Yeah. The name Maria was found scrawled on a mirror in the bathroom. Within a half an hour, police found Faye Winnell drunk and unconscious in a booth at a restaurant nearby. She had Gruby's eyeglasses, wallet, and watch with her. Her shoes had traces of blood and poop on them. So it was her. (laughs) (laughs) Evidence clearly linked her to the murder, and she even had a motive. A former girlfriend of hers had left her to start dating Groovy, so she was jealous. However, for reasons that I do not know, Faye Winnell was never charged with this murder. Weird. Okay. Very weird, because that seems about as obvious as it gets. Now we're back. To Ron Huff. Okay. He's on trial for Maria's murder. At trial, a woman testifies that she saw Winnell in Duluth at the time of the murder. Another man testified that Winnell had told him that she had killed Maria. And a Minneapolis police officer testified that Winnell had said that her lover was murdered and she did it. She told a a police officer this? Yeah. Okay. Huff called as his final witness, Faye Winnell. (laughs) Winnell admitted that she had physically abused Maria several times during their relationship, but denied any involvement in the death. She testified that she had moved to Arizona and had not returned since. So she was not in Minnesota at the time of the murder. She testified that she had money wired to her on June 3rd, 1996, and there was a signature on the receipt showing that she had received it in Arizona. Doesn't necessarily mean she wasn't the person, but it does show she was still in Arizona a couple days before the murder. murder. Okay. March 1999, after 16 hours of deliberation, the jury found Ron Huff guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. And Ron Huff is still alive. He is still in a Minnesota prison today. So, you know, I don't normally talk about living people, but he's in prison. So, sorry, Ron Huff. I'm going to talk crap about you. So, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this? Because that second murder, I mean, was, everything was, like, exactly like Maria's murder, right? There were a lot of similarities. I mean, in, I mean, to me, it just seems like it would be obvious that it was her, not Ron Huff. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, certainly possible. What ev- evidence, go back over, did they have pretty definitive evidence of Ron doing it? Anything? I mean, they had that one lady that said that, she, said that he had confessed to it, but other than that, was there really any? Yeah, there was like a secondhand confession, but other than that, I don't know how they connected it. Um, they tried to say that he was witnessed going to the grocery store with her the day that she was killed. 
um, which even if that's true doesn't make him the killer, the killer by any means. So uh, I'm sure there are pieces of this that I don't know because they weren't reported very well. But yeah, it's definitely the version that's reported in the newspapers does not make a strong case. This is definitely another thing that you should request a police report for. Yeah. I know that it probably would be a pain in the butt because you got to request it from the Duluth Police Department, but... I don't know if that makes it... A, I've never really dealt with Duluth. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, because it's not a place where you normally do it, I imagine it that would add a little level of complexity to it. Perhaps. So do you have an update of what happened to the Tucson girl? Yes. Okay, I want to hear that. Thank you for asking. So, so the jury finds Ron Huff guilty on March 10th, 1999. March 13th, three days later, Faye Winnell is arrested 20 miles south of Duluth after allegedly wandering the halls of an apartment building before daybreak, banging on doors for no apparent reason. She's released from the county jail at about 6.30 p.m. She has a drink at a nearby bar. Somebody she meets there, who she never knew before, gives her a ride back to Duluth. There, she goes to the Red Lion Bar, where she runs into Stacy Mullen, Kenneth Boudreaux, and Daniel Deegan. Deegan is angry at Winnell, because he thinks that Winnell had one time tried to make a pass at his girlfriend, and he said, I'm gonna get that bitch. <laughs> Well put. The two men suggested that Mullen, the girl of the three here, the woman of the three here, suggested that Mullen chat up Winnell and talk her into coming with them at closing time. Mullen successfully follows the plan, and when the bar closes at 1 a.m., Winnell leaves in their car. Winnell and the woman sat together in the back seat while the men sat in the front. They drove around for a while and finally stopped near the lake shore, where they got out, and Boudreaux, one of the two men, began swinging a broken end of a pool cue at Winnell. Winnell tried to defend herself but was overcome and eventually lost consciousness, but the beating continued nonetheless. The woman got out of the car because she feared one of the blows would hit her, so she kind of walked off. Eventually, she said, the three of them carried the body to a sand pile and drove off. Winnell's body was found by a construction worker at 10.30 the next morning. She was still fully clothed, but uh, she had been beaten with a pool cue and stabbed at least nine times with a steak Holy knife cow. in her chest, neck, back, and head. She was quite dead. And long story short, these guys end up going to prison for killing Faye Winnell. And what was the reason for them? Because one time, apparently, oh, he, she, like, she was hitting on one of the guy's girlfriends. My God, what are... <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is... So, so Ron Huff, the original killer, possibly the second killer, um, still alive. But plenty of other people along the way. <laughs> he is well connected to a lot of killings. Yeah. I mean... Very, uh, very strange, all the things that came up along the way of the story. Yeah. That's crazy. And he, you know that he is definitively still in prison in Minnesota. So I can tell you for a fact. fact. I, I looked it up while researching this. He's still there. He's still there. He hasn't gotten yeah. out. 
he hasn't gotten out. He looks like he's had a rough time. His his uh, prison mugshot, he only has one eye. Oh, wow. So I don't know wh- when that happened, but it looks like it's been a rough prison time for him. Holy crap. So, well, and how long is he, how long do you think he's been in prison? I mean, that's like 96, 97? Yeah, I mean, over 20 years, years now. So. Well, I would say that that was a really, really, really fun little uh, circle to go down. Yeah, so. a little little outside of the Fox Cities Murder Mayhem because it's in Minnesota, but it because it's got that Ron Huff connection, I figured it was worth continuing it. Yes, and I I almost th- I'm beginning to think, do we need to start a Duluth ma- Murder and <laughs> Mayhem? Because my God, if that's what's going on in Duluth, man, that's some prime content right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> So man, that was screw Fox City. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you just found like three people that are, com- from what I can tell, are completely insane. They're completely insane. insane. They're in... beating each other up. Well, They're pooping on the rug. I don't <laughs> yeah, know yeah. what's going on here. And I would also really love to understand why the one girl never got tried for that murder. I mean, I have no idea. Like, I, I honestly don't. And did did you find that she wasn't tried for the murder because the news reported that, but just never reported a reason for it, or can you just find no record of like her going to court? It, they actually they actually brought it up. The police were confident it was her. I mean, they were like, "This is as obvious as it gets," and they referred the charges to the DA, and the DA declined to prosecute it. So, what the DA was thinking, I have no idea. There must be something we don't know. Yeah, about. there might be another thing here that, we're, that we, we don't do know, know about, about. But but somewhere in there, the DA didn't think it was worth pursuing. So. I mean, because based on her like history, you would think they would want her out of right. off the streets. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe that was the first definitive person she might have killed. But she was beating the crap out of yeah, yeah, people yeah. left and right. I mean, everywhere she went, she was getting arrested for. Drunken discontent. Yeah, there's there's something like there that. that I think doesn't quite add up, but and I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I think if she had made a case that she was mentally unfit, I think she could have won that. But but that's still not a reason not to bring her to court. Mm-hmm. You know, even putting her in a a mental health facility. Is better, better than, than ever wandering around. around, getting drunk and beating the crap out of everybody yeah. that she comes in. I mean, come on, lady, you beat up a homeless guy. <laughs> like, so I'm gonna bite off your dick and you swallow your, your balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do we, I don't know if we have to bleep any of that, but but it's uh, definitely you know, and and not to make light of people who have. You know, not to make light of domestic violence or mental illness or anything like that, because that's not cool. But there's definitely some strange stuff going on here. And a big part of this, too, is I would love to understand with um, with most of these people, were they were they mentally ill or because there was I can't a believe lot, that she's not. Well, there was a lot of links, though, to all this stuff happening when she was drunk. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, was she just so belligerently drunk that she had no idea what she was doing most of the time? Right. And nowhere you know? in there nowhere in there that I was able to find did they make any mention of her being diagnosed as anything or taking any medication. Like, that never came up. Um, but, I mean, 
I've been pretty drunk, <laughs> and I can't say I've ever behaved quite like that. So yeah, but I there don't are know. people. I mean, there's very different ranges of drunk, you yeah. know. Like, and there are I've seen people do things drunk that I would never do drunk. Like, I would pass out long before I'd ever hit the point where I do things. Yeah, you know, sure. So, <laughs> but all right, well. I guess that wraps one up. So we went all the way from Green Bay to Seymour and up to Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, it, uh, this uh, this two two parter. Two parter. But so, yeah, I could I could not <laughs> do the second part. <laughs> so, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we will be back in two weeks with another episode. As usual, if you enjoy this podcast, leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Otherwise, we'll be back in two weeks. Right. Sounds good. Thank you. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey, podcast community. It's Eric. And I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to foxcitiesmm.com slash Aura. That's A-U-R-A to get started today.